I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Marnie. Uh, kids, you can take off to your classrooms. Go have some fun. Hallelujah. Yes, Father, we just thank you that you are holy, holy, holy. We honor you this day. We give you of our time, our attention. We've separated this time, and we call it holy. We call it holy unto you. Of all the things that we could be doing right now, we've set this time for you, and we call it holy. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, that's what holy means. It means separated for a purpose. Jesus said, be ye holy as I am holy. He is separate from everything else. He's far above. When he calls you to be holy, what he's saying is, come up a little higher with me, above it all. Separate yourself from everything else. And those things would hold you down. You know, the, the, uh, the book of Hebrews says, lay aside every weight and every hindrance that can so easily beset us or hold us back and slow us down. And when we get rid of that weight and that hindrance, it allows us to run the race that he set before us. You know, there's some things that we do in our life that aren't bad, but they're not necessary for you, for the journey that you're on. You know, when, you, when you're setting out uh, for on a journey, you take what you need for the journey. You don't bring the kitchen sink. You don't put the refrigerator on your back. You know, we, we take what we need for the journey and for the season that you're in and what God has called you to, separate yourself unto Him. Amen? Amen. Holy Jesus, you are holy. Whoo! Well, Father, we just thank you for this moment where we can open your word. And we just ask for your guidance, your direction of all the different places and ways we could go this morning. Holy Spirit, we want your words and your thoughts that we need for this time. We're not interested in just doing a pre-planned message, Lord. We want what you want for us in this moment. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, last week... We started into a message on faith, and I was telling you when we started that, that I'm really feeling in my heart that God's wanting us to throw a little bit more messages of faith in for this rest of this year. And so we did one last week, and we're going to do one again this week, and we already had four earlier in the year, but he's wanting to stir some things up in us, stir us up to faith, stir us up to believe. Why? You know, for most people, when you hear, oh, they're a person of faith, all that really means to them is that, oh, they, they believe in a God, you know, or in the context of Christianity, you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, and that he sent Jesus and Jesus did something. You believe, oh, that you're a person of faith. Well, you know that the demons even believe that and they tremble? That's what James chapter 2 says. They believe in God <laughs> and it causes a fear response in them, which means that when we believe in God, it should produce abundant joy and expectation. Something made them afraid, but he, we're, they're not his sons and daughters. We are. And so if they can see him and believe him and tremble, we should be able to believe him and the things that he said, and it should produce joy and expectation and cause us to live different and cause us to separate ourselves because we're not living like the world, right? We're living the way God has called us to and with, with the things he's called us to. And that's the thing about faith. It's not just about believing in God. It's not just about believing in Jesus, it's taking him at his word that what he said he did, 
He did. What he said is so, is so. And that who you are is actually who you are. Come on. I think if we look through the Bible and we present to most Christians how God sees them, they'd be like, really? God says some things about you that would be, really? He's called us to be kings and priests unto God. He calls you royalty. It says that you will rule and reign with him. He's called you to rule and reign. How come most Christians are barely getting by? That's not ruling. That's not reigning. Come on. We need to exchange our thoughts about ourselves for his thoughts about us. He said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why do most of us have more complaints and grumbles and, oh, I'm sore, I'm bored, I'm, what, what am I going to do? All these things. He said, let the redeemed say so. I've been redeemed from it. I'm not under the bucket. <laughs> I'm far above it. Faith is taking God at his word and responding as though it's so because it is. And if he said it, he meant it, go ahead and treat it just the way he does. He didn't use any idle words. It says every word that came out of his, out of his mouth had power to do what it was commissioned to do. It was not void of power is the word that the Bible uses. But sometimes when we read the word and we see things that he said, those good things, those promises for us, and we read by them, we're like, and we don't even notice they're there. We treat them as they, they have no power for us today. No, faith takes hold of the word of God and says, yes, it is so. Amen? You know, Jesus said that all things are possible to him who believes. And there may be some impossible things in your life. When you're looking around and you're saying, I don't know if I'll ever get by this. Or maybe you believe you won't. He said all things are possible to him who believes. That word believes is the verb of faith. Faith is a noun. It is a thing. It's something that God has given you. Romans chapter 12 says that he has given unto us the measure of faith. He's given you faith. That's the word pistis. But the verb of it is the word pisteo, which means to believe. It means with that thing he gave me, I got up and I did something with it. A verb is an action word. Isn't that right, teacher? If a noun is a person, place, or a thing, faith is a substance he's given to you. The very faith of Jesus has been given to you. That's what Galatians chapter 2 said. The life that I live, I live now live by the faith of the Son of God. He's given you his very faith to use. And pisteo, or believing, is saying, I'm going to take that and I'm going to do something with it. I'm not just going to sit back and say, that was a good word, Lord. I'm going to get up and I'm going to run with it and I'm going to believe that it's so. And I'm going to see the impossible become possible in my life today because I'm a believer. And isn't that what we are? We are believers. That's what Christians are called. We're called believers. It's in your nature. It's the easiest thing in the world for you to do is to take God at his word and respond. You are a believer. 
And so when we're talking about faith, it's not just believing God that there is a God or believing in Jesus. It's also taking him at his very word that what he said was done is done. And if it's done, shifting your mind to be like, if he said this is no longer a problem, then what I'm seeing in my life isn't the problem. And when we were looking at faith last week, we said that even in our salvation, we are saved by grace through faith. Grace is God's abundant provision of whatever you're going to need in this life. It is his unmerited and his undeserved favor that has been poured out for you. It's already present. And faith at salvation grabbed hold of what Jesus had already provided. When he said it was done, it was finished on the cross, he meant it, and you believed him. And that's the same way we do believe in every area of our life. What did God say? I believe that that's true. Whether I see it, whether I feel it, whether I have experienced at this point yet, if he said it's true, I start saying it's true. I start acting like it's true. And so grace was God's provision. And he provided more than just salvation for you. We think of faith as in, I believe I'm going to go to heaven when I'm done. He's provided so much more than just salvation. We looked at that word that by, by his grace, through faith, you have been saved. Sozo. It means to save from destruction. To save from suffering. To restore to health and to heal. There's so much more than I'm just going to heaven later in the sweet by and by. It's he saves you in every area of life. He is able to save you to the uttermost is what the Bible says. He's able to take his provision and pour it out into every area of life all the way to the uttermost. The uttermost means to the farthest extents. So the deepest parts of you, he's able to pour his saving power into. We looked at that word soteria that we translate salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word soteria doesn't just mean go to heaven. We read the Strong's definition of that word soteria last week, and it means the sum total of benefits and blessings that the believer will enjoy, who's been redeemed from these earthly will ills. And so there's more benefits than just going to heaven in the sweet by and by. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, But you, beloved... We're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, the things that accompany salvation. The writer of Hebrews there says, there are things that we believe we're going to see you walk in, and they are the things that accompany salvation. Not just the sweet by and by, but the sweet here and now as well. And he says, beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. What are the better things that he's saying that we believe concerning you? Well, they started the chapter with saying, hey guys, hey my beloved, we need to move on from the elementary things. We need to move on from the simple things and move on into maturity. And then he tells them, there have been people that have walked away from the faith that are no longer, they don't consider themselves believers any longer. They've walked away. And then he says, but beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. 
Meaning you're not going to walk away because you're not going to have just a future salvation mentality, but you're going to partake of the things of salvation today. Doesn't the Bible also tell us in the here and now to draw from the wells of salvation? I don't need to draw from the wells of salvation in heaven. I need them now. And so you can draw from the great salvation that God has provided to you, and you draw by faith. He, uh, Romans chapter 5, we haven't even got to it, more than one scripture this morning that I've had planned, and that's okay. In Romans chapter 5, it says, by faith we have access into the grace on which we stand. It, Paul tells us in Romans 5 that you are standing in grace right now. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about their, their present reality in Romans chapter 5. You are standing in grace and you access it in the here and now by faith. And so he's, the writer of Hebrews says, Beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. You're not going to walk away because you're going to experience the things that come with salvation. And it says, for if God is not unjust to forget, not unjust to forget your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. And so he's talking to people who are active in the work of the gospel, active in the work of the church. He says, God doesn't forget that work, but you're not saved by that work. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 said last week. We are, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He says, God doesn't forget your work and your labor of love. We've seen that you minister, and you're, you're doing it right now. But he says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence and full assurance of hope or confident expectation of good things to come until the end. I mean, stir it up now. I have a confident expectation that today's going to be good, that tomorrow's going to be good, that next week's going to be good, and it's going to get gooder and gooder and gooder, as Pastor Robin likes to say. It just keeps getting better and better. I have a confident expectation of good things to come. That's so much better than worrying about what's going to happen. You know, they say worry is having to live through a problem long before you ever got to it. Living through it once would be enough. Why live through it leading up? You know what's really happening? You're letting your faith form around a negative expectation. And what once was just an errant thought that came through where the enemy was trying to get you discouraged, you went and poured your faith into and made it a reality. A lot of us end up living self-fulfilling prophecies, the things that we've been speaking out, those negative expectations. But when you tell people, you can go ahead and speak out good things. You can align your word, and they're like, "Ah, I don't know about that. I'm like, yeah, you've been doing it all this time. You might as well just point it in the other direction. Come on. I feel it. Stop meddling, Pastor Jordan. Stop meddling. No, he says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence and full assurance of hope until the end. And that you don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith And patience inherit the promises. What promises? There's lots of promises in the Bible that he's made about you and for you and the provision that he's given to you. He says, by faith and patience, go ahead and receive them. 
You know, I like what Patsy Caminetti says, is that faith and patience are the power twins. A lot of people start out on a faith journey, and then they get discouraged. Why is it taking so long? Well, I guess it didn't work. Oh, God, I guess you just not, it's not as they said it was. No, have a little patience. And also do what the Bible says. Hold fast to the confession of your faith, because he who promised is faithful. And so it says, don't be sluggish, or don't get lazy and sit back, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swears by himself. And whenever God makes a promise, he doesn't make it based upon what you can do. He makes it based upon who he is and what he said. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not a man that he should lie. He never changes his mind. Every word that goes forth is absolutely true. And so when he makes a promise, he promises based on himself. And you can hold fast to that because it ain't going to change. And he said this about Abraham, Surely in blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. You know what the Bible also says in the book of Romans? That you are blessed with faithful Abraham. What blessing? This one right here. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Are you expecting increase in your life? Because that's what the blessing spoken over you that you've received by faith that was given to Abraham is saying. Surely I will bless you. Are you expecting blessing? Are you expecting multiplication? That's a different mindset than just expecting I'm going to get by. Thank God that you get by. I'd rather you get by than not get by. Right? But that's a limited mindset mentality not based upon the promise of God. He said, I will bless you, and I will multiply you. And so it says of Abraham, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. He stayed in faith, and he obtained the very thing that God had said was for him. You know, we read in 1 John chapter 5 earlier in the year that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And oftentimes when we're facing problems or we've failed in some things along the way, it's often that we look to God and say, God, why didn't you help him? It's not his faith that overcomes the world, it's yours. And so if you're looking for where the problem is, it's never with God. If it's not been working out the way you thought, Look back to yourself and ask yourself some questions. What did God say? What did I then say about it? And then what did I do about it? And if it didn't line up with what God said, your faith was pointed in the wrong direction. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And just for good measure, he goes on in the next verse and says, And who is he who overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you are a believer, you have been called to overcome. Overcome what, Pastor Jordan? I don't know. What are you facing? Mm -hmm. 
with talking about faith, there's something that I want to address for the rest of the time that we have here this morning. What are we at? And that is, when you're talking about faith, you inevitably have to talk about doubt and unbelief. And I've called this the thief of God's blessings. Do you know that unbelief stops the hand of God at work in your life? That's a hard thing for some Christians to believe. Now, when we were talking about faith earlier in the year, we spent a lot of time talking about the, uh, this false idea of sovereignty that a lot of Christians have, that they believe that whatever God wants will just automatically happen. And we spent a lot of time talking about through the Bible, that's not true at all. And we can see that here with unbelief. Jesus went to his hometown to minister to those people that he grew up with. And the Bible tells us here in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5 that he could do no mighty work there. He could do no mighty work. Which means he wanted to, but he couldn't. Except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then we look at the words there, a few sick people and laid hands on them. We get the idea from the Greek there that it was just like minor miracles. You know, where the other miracles we see, like the blind see, the lame walk. This is probably like, I got a headache, Lord. You know, we consider these like minor miracles. And it said he could do no mighty work in his hometown except do a few minor miracles. And it says he marveled at their unbelief. And so God wanted to do a mighty work in Capernaum, but he could not do it because of their unbelief. And where was their unbelief focused? If you go back and read the rest of the story, they said, oh, isn't this just Jesus? We grew up with him. They didn't believe that he could do anything for him because they had nothing to offer him because they knew where he came from. Well, you know what? People may look at you and say, oh, you can't do that. I know what you were like. Go ahead and say, yeah, but now I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. That old man is dead, and I'm living out of the new one. It doesn't matter what you were before and how you lived. When you stepped into Christ Jesus, everything became new. And so they looked at the person, Jesus, and they didn't see the Messiah, Jesus. And because of their unbelief, it stopped the hand of God from being able to pour out miracles into their cities. But it's interesting. It's interesting what he did. He said he marveled because of their unbelief or their unwillingness to believe. And then he went about the villages in a circuit, meaning a circular pattern, teaching their unbelief was a hindrance and so what was jesus's response they need to be taught and so he moved around in a circuit i'll teach here teach here teach here teach here and then i'm back here and here and here and he kept going back to them giving them what they needed and then giving some time and giving them what they needed why because Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Unbelief came because of what they were believing and what they had known. He needed to change that mindset. So he began to teach them. Let's go over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. How's everybody doing this morning?
I like John chapter 20. And I like John chapter 21. I like the perspective that John brings to the, day, the moments and the days after the resurrection of Jesus. And in John chapter 21, 20, Mary had gone to the grave to see Jesus. And when she got there, he wasn't there. And she ends up having this encounter with Jesus. And she's so excited about it. And she takes off and she runs to find the other disciples. And she gets them and says, hey, Jesus is risen. And so Peter and John get so excited about it, and they should be. I don't know why it's only Peter and John in this story. What about the rest of them? Mary comes in and said, Jesus is risen, just like he said he was going to. And Peter and John take off for the grave. And they have this race. And John gets there first. <laughs> and he gets to the door and he stops. And then Peter, who obviously was a little bit slower, he gets there and shoves John out of the way and goes right in. <laughs> and they come out and they're like, he's gone, he's risen, this is awesome. And in verse, chapter 20, verse 18, we get this. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood in the midst and said, Peace be with you. I love this story because it tells us that the doors are shut and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is there in the midst of them. And the first word he says is, peace, guys, peace. Why? Because he, they just freaked them out. You know, we talked about in Acts, the book of Acts with Philip when he went, when he baptized the eunuch and both, he put him down in the water and when the eunuch came up, he was standing alone and it said that Philip had been snatched away and was found in Azotus. Jesus did the reverse. He wasn't there, and then, boom, he's there, and they're like, ah, <laughs> come on. And he says, peace, guys, peace be with you. And it says, when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side, and when the disciples were glad, when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, peace to you, meaning, whew, they're still a little riled up. <laughs> peace. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nail, and I can put my finger in that print and put my hand to his side, Here's the verse I wanted to get to. I will not believe. That's a strong statement from Thomas. I will not believe unless I can see it for myself, until I can touch it for myself, I will not believe. Do you know what Thomas just said to his closest friends? Your word is not good enough. That's what we say to Jesus all the time. When we see it in the word and we just go, eh. What we just said to him was, your word is not enough. 
I won't believe until I can see it. I hate to break it to you, you don't need to believe it once it's there. You don't need faith. But he said, I will not believe. Now, this is not the first time Thomas has had this line of thinking, and we can tell that this is something he's been mulling over. The, the word here, words that are used here is ume pisteo, and this is a qualified no. It's not an absolute no, it's a qualified no. I've been taking in information, guys, and I've just, what I've seen, eh, it's not enough for me. You know, he had this same experience in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you and the place where I'm going, you know how to get there. And what did he say? He said to Jesus, how can we get there if we don't know where you're going? And he just, Jesus just finished saying, you know the way. What he said to Jesus was, I don't believe you. This is a qualified no. This was Thomas looking for physical, external input and evidence before he's willing to release his faith. It's pisteo. It's the action of faith. He's saying, give me the physical evidence, and then I'll act, guys. But... Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I like the amplified version of that verse. You got time for that verse? Good. It says, now faith is the assurance. It is the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of the things we don't see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not yet revealed to the senses. Faith takes God at his word, whether it has touched it, whether it has felt it, whether it has seen it, whether it has heard it, whatever it is, faith takes God at his word and says, it's real, I believe it now. It's the equivalent of if Jesus said, there's a cave over in China where I've put all kinds of gold in there for you. It's, it's there. And you're sitting over here going, I don't believe it. Until I fly to the other side of the world and see it, well, then, then I'll believe it for myself. Wasn't his word enough? At his word, the mountains tremble. At his word, miracles happen. At his word, the dead were raised. At his word, the blind could see. At his word, the, the food began to multiply. At his word, the seas were calmed. Is his word not enough? And that's what Thomas was saying. It is not enough. My best friend said it, I won't believe it. My master said it, I won't believe it. Prove it to me. That's not faith. That's called unbelief. And it says in verse 26 of chapter 20, And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, and the doors being shut, he stood in the midst of them. So here again, Jesus does his appearing act. And what does he have to say again? Peace, guys, chill, peace. And then he turns right to Thomas and he says, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. 
Reach your hand in here and put it in my side. And what does he say to him? Do not be unbelieving, but believing. What he was saying is, use faith, Thomas, not doubt and unbelief. Because doubt and unbelief stop the blessings of God in your life. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord, my God. (laughs) Meaning, the evidence I needed has presented itself. And Jesus was like, oh, that's so good, Thomas. Yes, that's so great. I'm so glad you got what you needed. That's not what he said at all. He said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who took me at their word, my word. Take him at his word. Do not doubt. Do not be in unbelief. One more story and then we're going to close for the morning. In Matthew chapter 14, we have Jesus has just multiplied the the loaves and the fishes for the 5,000. And it says in chapter 14, verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was all alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. It was being tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. This is like one of those awesome miracles where it's like, that's just not natural. Well, that's what a miracle is. It's an unusual occurrence outside of the course of nature. People don't walk on water, and here comes Jesus. They needed the boat. (laughs) And there's a storm, which means Jesus is more going, man, I think I'd rather be in the boat. (laughs) That seems like a lot of work. Up and up and down these ever-changing hills, all the way across the sea. And so Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. It's probably because he was a bit of a distance off and the things don't walk on the sea, right? And so they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said to him, come. You know, oftentimes people get into this mentality of, well, I just don't know what the will of God is for my life. If If I knew a little clearer, then I could believe a little better. You know, I think Peter here has the clearest discernment of the will of God you could ever have. God, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. Come. He's in the will of God. And you think, well, if I could just have it a little clearer, then I could believe a little better. Is that so? Let's see how that worked out for Peter. (laughs) Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets down out of the boat. And he walks on the water to go to Jesus. He's standing in the will of God, which happens to be not in the boat, out on the sea, walking in a miracle. But 
When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. What, you mean being in the perfect will of God doesn't exempt me from following my, following my emotions and falling into fear? No. They will try to come. When he saw the wind was going, he got afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, which is just as much a miracle as walking on the water. Because last time I jumped off the dock, I sunk, not began to sink. <laughs> and so there's a fight going on in the Peter right at this moment. Jesus said, come, I've been walking on the water. Oh, but look at those waves and look at that wind. There's a fight going on between him. The, the fight to believe and the fight to be afraid and to exercise unbelief. He began to sink and he said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And he said to him, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt. And so his doubt and unbelief began to put a wall between him and the miracle that he was already walking in. It's the same way with us. Take God at his word because as soon as you start to take the other input, look at the waves, look at the wind, doubt begins to rise. Thomas said, give me the evidence. Peter began to look at all the contrary evidence. What are your eyes fixed on? And Jesus said, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? You were already doing it. You were already walking in the miracle. I want to see miracles go through to the, all the way to the end. So when they got in the boat, the winds ceased. And so Guys, the whole message on faith today that I want to get across to you, if you remember nothing else than this, take God at His word. That's how it is. You don't need to look at anything else. Take Him at His word. If He said, by His stripes you were healed, stop asking your body how you feel. If he said he would supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory, stop looking at the forecast of where the economy is going to go. Take him at his word. He said he has given or he has supplied all things that pertain to life and godliness. Whatever you need, he's supplied. That grace is abounding. Grab hold by faith. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And we honor it. We know that it is what it is and it doesn't change. Just as you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, it's just as sure today as when you said it. And I know that I am secure in your hands as your child because I've stepped out of darkness into light. I don't have to fear. I know that all of heaven stands at my back. And just as the word said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. This day, I take that advice from you and I choose life right now. 
in the name of Jesus. I choose life in my body. I choose life in my finances. I choose life in my workplace. I choose life in my family. I choose life in my neighborhood. I choose life in every area that my life goes to impact. I thank you it is all blessed because you said in blessing you will bless me and multiplying you will multiply me. And so I take you at your word and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, our Word Care team is going to be up here at the front, and they would love to pray with you and believe with you and agree with you and celebrate with you and testify, whatever it is you need. Whatever, if you need someone to stand with you today, they're right there to do that, and they would love to pray for you. Hallelujah. Shifting gears. When we were praying this morning before the service, I just felt before we ended our prayer time, the Lord was saying God's wanting us to shift some gears in our lives. You've been idling at a certain speed. You've been staying at a certain type of thing. You've been putting up with a certain uh, tone in your life. He's wanting you to shift that speed, shift that gear. As Pastor Wendy went on to say after I said that, it's like when you get to that hill, you need a little more power. And when you get to those hills in your life, go ahead and shift that gears in your heart. I believe you, God. I believe your word. It'll be as you have said. This is going to be fine. This mountain may be in front of me, but you told me to go ahead and move them with my words and faith. And so I shift that gear, and I put it down, and I believe I'm going over, not under. Amen? Amen? Pastor Robin. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Offering time. So our focus is on seed we're about to sow or have sown or going to be sowing. And there's a couple ways you can do it. Just do it online with that bit there and or the envelope in the pew in front of you, seat in front of you. Amen? Amen. So the, this confession that we do, that you know, this is my seed, is, is based on the Word of God. So as you say it, don't use doubt or unbelief. Let's just believe and release our faith as we say it. This is my seed. I sow it in the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best, grow. I sow you to speak the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. So you go out, buy and great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. This faith is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are blessed.